There are a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL Draft this year. My name is Ben Solak, and I host the Ringer NFL Draft Show with Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, and Greg Horbeck. We cover trades, free agency, and the draft, which is, yeah, obviously. We'll tell you about everything, which includes which quarterbacks are good, which quarterbacks are bad, and which quarterbacks are just Kirk Cousins. That is the Ringer NFL Draft Show. Search the Ringer NFL Draft Show on Spotify. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud Anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It is Monday, February 26th. It's been a while since we've checked in on our good friend David Zasloff, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, which... As you know, owns HBO, the Max Streamer, CNN, the Warner Brothers Studio. We're now almost two years into this merged company. He had an earnings call on Friday, and it did not go great. Pretty bad, actually. Overall sales fell 7%. Streaming subscribers declined in the U.S. And TV ad revenue dropped by double digits. That's key because, above everything, this company makes its money from television. The movie studio also had a disappointing quarter with flops like Aquaman 2 and The Color Purple. Wonka was not enough. In response, the stock tanked 10% to an all-time low. It's now lost more than 65% of its value since this company went public. But the news wasn't all bad. One of the big issues with Warner Discovery has been its debt. And Zasloff and his CFO have pared that down by about $15 billion to only about $40 billion in debt. They've done that by firing people, of course, by canceling a bunch of shows, scrapping movies for write-offs, that kind of thing. But free cash flow, that's a metric for revenue coming through the company. That shot up. That's what's important for the debt. So important that Zaslav's bonus is tied to that metric, not earnings or the stock price, like most CEOs who are rewarded when shareholders are rewarded. A lot going on at Warner Discovery, not a lot of it great. So we've got Lucas Sean here from Bloomberg back to discuss it all. It's a yikes moment at Warner Discovery. What's the path forward? And is it time for a pivot? From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw, who is back again. Welcome, Lucas. Great to be here. We are talking about Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, Not really going so great at that company. <laughs> uh, let's let's run through some stats. All right, you know what? We don't even need to go through the specifics of stats. Bottom line, the enterprise value of this company is now about $60 billion. It's down from around $130 billion at the time of the merger, which was not even two years ago. And let's look at the EBITDA, which is the earnings metric. When this company was launched, it went from what they said would be about billion a year in guidance to what most analysts are saying is now less than $10 billion. Now, that $4 billion was the bridge, the bridge that they told everyone they were going to be able to get 
to the other side in the streaming universe and take their TV revenue and create the company of the future. That was the entire premise of this merger. And now we know that that bridge seems to be crumbling. I think we've seen pretty conclusive evidence over the last few years that all of these cases of consolidation to survive in streaming or to get bigger and thrive just haven't worked. Now, you could argue that the situation would have been even worse without the merger. And I think in the case well, of Well, Discovery company- needed this. David Zasloff was going to sink. They would have been AMC, which is, you know, not the theater company, the network company. They are in real trouble right now. And he was looking at that and saying, that's my future. I need to do something. They located Warner Media. AT&T was having a horrible well, he, time. He talked with everyone. He did, yes. He tried to bundle. He tried to do all these different things. And he launched Discovery Plus, which even yeah. he knew that was that wasn't the answer. But at least he could talk about being in streaming. And yeah, the company's stock price is is off basically two thirds since they put it together. The earnings are not good. The only thing that that looks good is the he is generating some more cash. But the problem is is that the business is shrinking. It's just not a good situation to be in to have your business shrinking. It's one thing if your growth is slowing, that's problematic to Wall Street, but shrinking is the real problem, especially when you consider that the part of the business that's growing is streaming, and streaming is so much smaller and is also growing more slowly. So it's not really clear to me what the path forward is for this company. Well, and that's, I think, what the stock is reacting to. Because if you talk to the Warner Discovery people, and if you look at Zasloff on his earnings call, he's jumping up and down with his flare gun saying, look at our free cash flow. We said that we are going to deliver big increases in cash flow. They generated $6.2 billion in free cash flow in 2023. That is up 86% from 2022. And my colleague, Bill Cohen, over at Puck, his point was, This is a leveraged buyout. What is going on here is a leveraged buyout. And in leveraged buyouts, you have to reduce the debt. That is what they said they were going to do. That is what they are doing. The problem they have is that nobody on Wall Street seems to care about that. Well, they do care. If the debt were going up, they'd be in even worse shape. (laughs) It's just paying off the debt for an expensive merger was like the minimum that they needed to accomplish, right? If you don't do that, it's a total disaster. And so they have been successfully managing the debt, generating cash. They cut a lot of employees. They cut a lot of costs, which is one of the reasons why the profit and the cash flow looked better. But if the business isn't growing either, if you're just cutting and making like a small, a shrinking business slightly better, that's just not that appealing to investors compared to if you were cutting. And oh, by the way, one result of that is that the streaming business were doing better. You know, they put a lot of effort into relaunching HBO Max as Max. They announced a lot of new projects. You know, they folded in all the discovery stuff, which they said would make a difference. And their streaming business or their direct-to-consumer business shrank in the U.S. last year. It grew marginally globally. So if they aren't growing the streaming business, what like what are you investing in or what are you betting in as, as an investor? Yeah, uh, $40 billion in net debt, which means that it's down $15 billion in debt in two years, which is not bad. But you bring up the streaming profitability question. I'm going to tee you up here and I'm going to let you go to town here because (laughs) they claimed on the earnings call that their direct-to-consumer streaming business is now profitable, which total bullshit, total spin, but explain why. 
They changed the way that they reported. So companies, <laughs> you create divisions, right? And then you report results for different divisions. So, sure. and, yes. and companies restructure and they change it. And they often restructure it in a way where they want to make something look good or bad, right? So like when Disney wanted to make streaming look good, or as a growth business, right? it had it as a separate thing and you could see all the subscribers it was adding and all the revenue it was growing. And so it looked like a growth business. Even though it was losing money, what they thought Wall Street cared about was growth. What Warner Brothers Discovery has tried to do is they know that Wall Street is freaked out about profits and in particular streaming profits. And so they created this direct-to-consumer business, which is basically linear HBO plus streaming. Now, maybe they'll correct me on everything that's in it, but that's sort of the, the basis of it. And so when you do that, the direct-to-consumer business is profitable, which allows them, or they use to argue that their, their direct-to-consumer streaming business is profitable. But that's factoring in the profit that HBO is making as a linear network. And if you Which go is back not and, a direct-to-consumer business. That well, is no, a wholesale it, business yeah. that they partner with carriers and sell them HBO, which is then sold to consumers. So just by the literal definition of direct-to-consumer, HBO as a linear product is not direct-to-consumer. Well, and it is if you consider like the, you know, some of the, the streaming. But yeah, you're right. Right, but that's but that's a different thing. Like, how much profit are they making on those linear subscribers? I'm betting it's a lot. It's not what it used to be, but I'm well, betting it's it's decent. That's the crazy thing is that if you look at the trajectory of HBO, HBO was an incredibly profitable business before the company went all in on streaming. Now there are going to be the people who say, "See, this is proof they shouldn't have done anything on streaming." That's wrong. HBO needed to extend itself into the streaming business. It needed to compete there, but the amount of money that has been spent on it has made it now suddenly a marginally profitable business because the profits for HBO or the direct consumer profits are like 5% of what HBO profits used to be. So it is really, you know, they can say that the streaming business is profitable, but they got a lot of work to do to get HBO back to where it used to be. And investors see through that, right? There were a bunch of trade headlines. They're like profitability in streaming, but the investors laugh at that. Yeah, they took an unprofitable Discovery Plus streaming service and an unprofitable HBO Max streaming service and are trying to turn it in to a profitable Max streaming service. But they are still in the investment phase. And the only way that they're going to make that thing profitable is to sign up a lot more customers. And their whole argument for changing the name from HBO Max to Max was that there were only so many people who were going to pay for something with the HBO name on it and that Max would broaden it. That doesn't seem to be happening. So what is the strategy for making it? Was It, it was going to be maybe adding in sports and news but now they haven't really figured out the sports thing, which is why they're creating a separate sports streaming service with Disney and Fox. So does that mean you're not going to get sports fans into Max? I, I, you know, it's a mess. Well, they seem to be doing all this stuff concurrently, and they haven't said whether that will go away. But I, I would guess if all the other partners are going to continue their personal strategies, then Max would do the same. They will, but are they, they going to have, like, do they have a paid version of this ready for March Madness this year, which is a big event for them? Do they are they going to no, have? No, they don't. They they pushed yeah. it. Right? Are they going to have that ready for the NBA playoffs, which is their other big event? Because then you have a summer where Turner doesn't really have important sports. Nobody. I mean, they have a little bit of baseball, but well, and and if you look overseas, they have a lot of Olympics rights as well. But the Max thing is interesting because that was the pitch. If we call it Max. It's going to be a ton more people interested in that. I don't know if that's working, but the other side of it is maybe it's just that they aren't spending on the content that they once did. 
I mean, that's the other thing that they have done is they have significantly cut costs. They have fired a bunch of people. They have canceled a bunch of shows, specifically the Max Originals shows. And there's just less content on the Max service than there was pre-Max. So is it just that there's less content and that equals less growth? Or is it that Max as a name branding service fundamentally isn't working? I mean, look, that's hard for me to answer. It's hard. Billions of dollars are dependent on that question. Because HBO still has some very good programming, right? Yeah, HBO is HBO. It's always going to be HBO. We just saw True Detective did great. They've got a new Kate Winslet show. Like, that seems to be fine. It's all the other stuff they bolted onto it because HBO was never a huge subscriber business. You know, that was the whole Richard Klepler thing is like, more is not better, better is better. And they've not succeeded in turning Max into a viable Netflix competitor. Or just making it something that people come to to watch. I think what a lot of these services have struggled with is they need to be a habit, right? Like you need it so that when someone wants to watch TV, they are yeah. opening your service as a first or second choice. That's what right. Netflix is for so many people. And HBO has had that for original programming on, on Sunday night, basically. HBO was a habit for its audience there. But the idea was if you have these originals and you have the deep library and the movies and you have the discovery stuff, like people will, you need to get people to open it on a Tuesday night. And if you just look at the consumption data for Max, that's not happening, right? It hasn't broken into that tier. Yeah. Surprisingly low consumption given the subscriber numbers and the brands associated with and the library there. But then again, more and more, the Warner Library is now on Netflix. Like if you were the kind of person that went to Max to watch DC movies, now you can do that on Netflix and it doesn't require going into another service. I would also say that the app is not very inviting. It's not a great experience to to look for things or find things or watch things in in Max. Hmm. It's better than it was. Yeah, I and and the library is amazing. I mean, they've got I've always said that Max has like the best stuff. I agree, but do you think that library is presented to you well? Uh, maybe not. I don't know. And also, they're seeing the data, and the reason they say they are licensing this stuff to Netflix is because nobody's watching it, and it's going to have a better consumption on the other platform, and obviously, they get money for it. That's obviously true, but the challenge should be then, if we have these show, this show that we know people like, mm -hmm. and we have people who come to our service, how do we get them to watch that show? Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. One to 10 on the freakout scale. What is the freakout level going to be next month or the month after when David Zasloff's bonus for 2023 is revealed? Because his bonus, as we know, is tied to free cash flow. They changed that last year. And his bonus, based on the free cash flow, could skyrocket. 
he made, I believe it was 39 million last year. Whose freak out am I judging? The general entertainment community, people who work for the company, the investor community, those who have ridden the stock on the downward Tunes' trajectory off a cliff over the last two years. I'm going to go eight. I think nine. It depends how big it is. It depends how big it is. If it's nine figures, then I'll give it a nine or a ten. But <laughs> I mean, literally, it, it the probably won't be. It'll will be probably out. be like seventy-five. There's going to be like protests outside of Bob Evans' house. As why you know, do you <laughs> why do you think that activists have spent so much time going at Disney and nobody's gone at Warner Brothers Discovery in a public way? I think because John Malone is the major shareholder and board member at. Warner Discovery. He's the Liberty Global chairman. He is a longtime confidant and many would say enabler of David Zasloff. He is one of the architects of this transaction and helped make it happen and has been its champion. So I think if you are an investor in the company and you look at that and you say, oh, I'm going to have to go up against that guy, maybe you back off. Now, it seems like that credibility he has had may be crumbling along with that bridge to the future. And perhaps others will come forward and say, guys, wh where's the pivot? This isn't working. But I think that's one of the reasons he's such a formidable figure in the media investment space that people may not want to challenge him. You asked about Hollywood's freak out with with Zaz's pay. What do you think is the level of anxiety at Warner Brothers Discovery right now? Like if you're, if you got an honest David Zaslav or an honest J.B. Perrette, the head of streaming, or like one, or an, an honest board member, where are they at? I think they are freaking out because the premise of the merger is falling apart. You know, they know, they knew they had a very thin tightrope to walk. And this $14 billion a year in EBITDA was going to be the tightrope. And the ad market is not cooperating. The studio has hit a tough spot. The All of the things that could go wrong have kind of gone wrong. And the money's just not there. So what do you do with that? Now, the employees of the company, I mean, everyone at these entities are so numb to the corporate shenanigans. I mean, this is a company that's been tossed around AT&T. Before that, it was, you know, the Time Warner group. And like, uh, it just, it's been one thing after another there. So I think a lot of people that I talk to in the creative community are just kind of like, you know, shrugging their shoulders. But Zaslav, interestingly, he blamed the studio in part for the struggles last quarter. He said, the studio has really been underperforming, including the end of the year where we had some real struggle. Now, I think he's referring to Aquaman 2, your favorite movie, and The Color Purple, both of which bombed. But rare to see him kind of single that out. Um, obviously, the earnings were down double digits in that unit. But uh, they got to pick that up. They got to make that better. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think the studio is actually going to have a pretty good year. Uh, at least on the you movie think so? side. I think the movie studio is going to have a good year. Oh, you do? Okay. You're, so, well, that, it says the guy who has Joker 2 in our draft. And, and Dune 2. Yeah. And Dune 2. But you have, you have Beetlejuice, which I regret not having. I think that's okay. going to be a hit. The only thing that is going to be a problem for them is your beloved Horizon saga or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> Which I gave to you. I know the trailer today looks just as bad as we thought it looked. The real issue for them is probably just some of the retrenchment on the TV side because they have such a prolific TV studio that maybe it won't sell as much. Yeah, that's the thing. The Warner TV studio, their whole thing is selling everywhere. And when everyone's pulling back, it's tough to sell everywhere.
But I think the studio is, just doesn't matter as much as the TV networks. And the ad market for the, for the TV networks is just brutal. I mean, we saw that. Look, if you look at these tech company earnings, Facebook and Amazon and, and these others that are ad-driven tech companies, they are back. The, the ad downturn has gone away for those companies, YouTube. But the traditional linear networks are not back, which suggests to me that they will never be back. No, they're in secular decline. And the only hope for these companies is that they need to build their streaming ad business into something bigger. Because you look at, I think there was a good Brian Weiser note on like kind of the ad sales from streaming for Warner Brothers Discovery was probably like $500 million. But their larger ad business is like $12 billion. It's got to get way, way, way bigger to offset the declines in TV. And I don't know that it's going to get there because I don't know how many people are. Yeah. And you don't do that if you're not generating the eyeballs on the service and with less content and lackluster growth in subscribers, you're not going to do that. What do you think is going to be the, the biggest hit of the year for Warner Brothers Discovery? What is going to, if, if you're Zaz and you're looking for the thing that is going to, going to save your bacon, what are you pointing to? Well, when is the Game of Thrones sequel second season coming out? Is that the numbers on that were really big? And people tend to subscribe for Game of Thrones related content. I don't know if that's this year or next year. Might be next year. I always found that they didn't do a good enough job of using Game of Thrones to sign people up for, for their streaming service. That should have been the biggest subscription driver ever. True. But when House of, Drag- House of Dragon premiered, they did a deal where if you sign up for a year, you got a big discount in order to catch the people who sign up for one show and then cancel. Uh, I don't know how that worked or not, but it, they did actually do it. Yeah, House of the Dragon is coming out this year, season two. Okay, so that'll probably be their biggest thing. You know, on the movie side, I don't know. They like It's going to be some tough comps to Barbie in the summer because I don't see a Barbie coming down the pike from them. I know you've talked about this on other pods and we mm-hmm. have even talked about it a little bit, but do you think that the current challenges make the company more or less likely to keep NBA rights? Less. I mean, Gunnar, the CFO said it on the earnings call. He's like, we are very disciplined. We have a range in which we know we can go and we have a range above which we cannot go. And that signaling there is like, we're not going to overpay, which means, you know, everybody tends to overpay for sports. And I think that they are laying the groundwork for it potentially not working out. And you've got Brian Roberts at Comcast who knows that he can strike a death blow if he gets these NBA rights and aces out Turner Um, The only thing they have going for them is that I think the league likes the inertia, the momentum of just having a consistent partner. The NBA pre-show on TNT is the best in the business, and the NBA knows that. So I could see them getting a pared-down version of rights, which I think most analysts think that's probably going to happen. But it would not shock me at all if they get none. Yeah. I mean, look at these financials. It's just, it's super tough adding a huge billion dollar commitment onto this like that's really tough well yeah they already have obviously a pretty big commitment so i would be shocked to see them pay much more than they're paying now the question is what could they get for what they're paying now right and is it meaningful to have or is it the one thing that you don't need if you're an nba fan it's like oh if they have every other thursday then i don't really need that i don't, I don't know if they, i think you gotta keep a game a week if they could just say like because they write currently have two games a week basically Tuesday and Thursday, I believe. If they could just say every Tuesday or every Thursday, you come to TNT, come to Max for basketball, mm-hmm. that would still be meaningful. 
Interesting. All right. So there's some that say that Warner should pivot here. The Warner Discovery needs to drop the current strategy, the all in on free cash flow and kind of forgetting to invest in the company. <laughs> and they should pivot. Do you agree with that? And how should they pivot? Well, I guess I kind of question the premise just because they're still investing. I mean, you look at all the projects that Mike DeLuke and Pam Abdi are buying that at Warner true. Brothers. Yeah, they are going on a bit of a spending spree at the movie studio. Yeah, HBO is still putting out. You but know, that, the speculation at the movie studio, though, is that they're in, doing the same strategy they did at MGM, which was to put a bunch of things in development. So some potential buyer will look and say, oh, my God, they're in business with Tom Cruise. Oh, my God, they've got a Paul Thomas Anderson movie with Leo DiCaprio. Right. And then the movie comes, the movies come out and nobody watches the movie. Yeah. And, 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 and these guys are all gone and it doesn't matter. Always possible. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get a good PTA movie with Leo in it, though, out of this. That would be very cool. Yes, worth all of the pain. Look, <laughs> they have to pay down the debt. So they have to find ways to cut costs and do that. You know, the question for them, I guess, is does there have to be a change in the streaming strategy or is there another business line that they should be looking at or going into? They don't really have the resources to do a big investment in something else. And so they've got to figure out a way to make the streaming service matter more. And that's what Zaslav is clearly spending a lot of time on. That's why he's trying to get everyone to bundle with him. It's why he's trying to make stuff work. I mean, he, he's been talking about bundling streaming services for like six or seven years. I assume yeah. he was a driving force behind that sports streaming service, even if some would argue that their company's in the worst position with it because sports accounts for the smallest share of right. their network. It's very thirsty. It's yeah. the person who is wearing the least clothing at the bar on Friday night. Like, it's very thirsty. But I don't know. I mean... Or they just pull the ripcord and sell. You know, April's coming up. They can do deals after April legally. So I think they'll, they'd have a lot of the same problems that Paramount has been having. Yeah. Who's yeah, buying? Yeah, they are being separated from the herd. There are companies that we've said this for years now. There are companies that will survive and there are others that are really looking for answers. And Paramount and Warners are in that latter camp. All right, Lucas, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, Oscar voting ends tomorrow, 5 p.m. Academy voters who are listening to this show, make sure you fill out your ballots before then. Not a lot of competition for Best Picture. It's pretty clear. Picture and director are locked up, I would say, with Oppenheimer. Yeah, as well as Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress are locked up. And I would argue Best Actor. I'm looking at the betting odds. I would argue that is locked up. Oh, you think so? Okay, so yeah, supporting is going to be downy for an actor. Uh, in Oppenheimer, and an actress is going to be Divine Joy Randolph for the holdovers. Pretty clear after all of the indicator shows SAG this weekend. They also won BAFTA. The actor and actress races, to me, are not locked up. I know the betting odds has Killian Murphy for actor. Pretty heavy, right? Yeah, I I'm looking on on Fandle right now because I'm a company man, and uh, Killian Murphy's minus 850. Look, that that is still you could still be upset at minus 850, but it is still a strong favorite. Right. Paul Giamatti, second, then the others. Yes. Uh, actress, it's really a two-person race, it's in my a dead opinion. Heat. Emma Stone yeah. and Lily Gladstone are both have, have even odds to win. Right. Although there is a contingent out there that says that Sandra Hewler from Anatomy of a Fall could be a dark horse candidate. I don't think that's true. I'm going to do my predictions today for actor and actress based on people I've talked to and reading all the pundits and seeing all the precursor awards. I am going to go against the grain here on actress. I think Emma Stone is going to win this. 
How is that against the grain? They're either both tied in odds. I, I mean, Lily Gladstone just won the SAG Award. Emma Stone did win the BAFTA. There's a lot of people out there that feel like Emma Stone already has an Oscar. Lily Gladstone would be a big moment for representation, first Native American woman to win. I just don't think that movie has enough traction. And the campaign that Emma Stone has run, this whole defy expectations thing, it's playing into the Academy really like getting behind the fearlessness of this performance. I think Emma Stone is the is going to pull this out. This would likely mean that no above the line wins for Killers of the Flower Moon. Then That's okay. I think we're okay on that. I mean, the movie's fine. It's too long. The movie's good. It is good. I know. You liked it more than I did. She is great in it. I think Lily Gladstone will have a great career. But I do think this is going to be Emma Stone's second Oscar. Now, on actor, I'm going to probably go with Killian Murphy here, like the odds makers. But it would not shock me if Paul Giamatti won. Really? And this would be kind of a, a career achievement. I mean, he, was, he wasn't even nominated for Sideways. Yeah, it would he, be a makeup for the Sideways snub. This just feels too powerful. Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer. The Oppenheimer train is way too powerful. I agree. That's why I'm picking him, because I think there's going to be people that just check all the boxes, and it's going to be a sweep year. And that's why I think even in the adapted screenplay category, Oppenheimer is up against Barbie, up against Zone of Interest, American Fiction, which just which won is the, the Spirit favorite. Award. American Fiction is the, is the slight favorite for adapted. That's interesting. It did just win the Spirit Award, uh, which is not a big indicator, but it is something. And then Poor Things is the other cat. That's a stacked category for screenplay. But I just think that Oppenheimer, you know, the, the Nolan train, everyone's going to vote for him. I just think that that one is going to overcome. And then for original screenplay, Anatomy of a Fall, I think, is a pretty big favorite in this category. What is the what do the odds say? Yes, Anatomy of the Fall is a is a slight favorite. I think that's the best movie of the of all the nominees. Anatomy. Oh wow, you're you that's your favorite movie of the year. Yeah, I, I thought in terms of of acting, directing, writing, I thought it was by far the best movie of the year. I liked it a lot. I also liked that holdovers script though. Original. Oh, screenplay. I love the holdovers. That's my yeah. favorite of the of the bunch. Yeah, Past Lives just won the Spirit Award for Director and Picture. Um, that is also nominated in Screenplay, and that's not likely to win. Maestro, shut out in all these categories. We could see zero wins for Maestro, although I do think makeup and hairstyling has a great, great shot. Sure. Not shut out on social media. It's everywhere. Cooper's everywhere. <laughs> and not shut out on Bradley Cooper doing big media appearances. Yeah. You see, he did the cover of the New York Times magazine floating in his underwear in a river in New York. Uh, I did see that. He had some funny quotes about like Leonard Bernstein coming on him or some. He had oh, some no. Really awkward quote. Uh, it, it's been great. Yeah, I know. I'm going to miss all these people once award season is done and they all go back into hiding. Um, all right, so my, my picks there in the competitive categories are now known. Everybody can come at me if I'm not right. Um, and then we're going to do, up until the Oscars in two weeks, we're going to do a little tidbit on every show at the end. Maybe not a full call sheet, but little fun stuff that I'm hearing about the show. Uh, Kimmel, Kimmel's hosting. It's going to be a good one. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Lucas Shaw. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez, and I want to thank you. We will see you later this week. <laughs>